Thank you for that. We're blessed. I'm going to be reading a passage of Scripture from the book of Philippians, chapter 3. I'm going to be, begin reading in verse 4 in just a moment. I would like to invite us, before I read that Scripture, to just bow in a time of silence, to be still in God's presence, to experience His nearness, and to uh, have a time to just talk with the Lord or to be present with the Lord, whatever it is that you need to do this morning for a few moments of centering. Bow with me, please, and I'll lead us in prayer in just a moment. Loving God, you have filled our voices with songs of hope and joy, and you have called us to be people of resurrection. Continue to use us to practice resurrection in all of our relationships, to live your life of praise. We are in your presence this morning with one another, acknowledging that not all of life is Easter joy, that there are discouragements and worries and brokenness and sin and disease and death among us. We pray comfort to those who are grieving today. We pray healing, inner healing, and outer healing for those who are struggling with any kind of illness, broken relationships. We pray on this holiday for those who are far away from home, serving in the military, for all of those who are far away from home for whatever reason that you might bless. We ask God that you bless the mission of this church. We pray that as we prepare for Mission JC next week, that you might bless all who would participate in all of the preparation, that truly we might love this community in Jesus' name. Above all, God, we pray right now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts might be acceptable in your sight because you are our rock and our redeemer. And I pray in the name and authority of Jesus Christ. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 4, and I'll invite you to stand if you're able. And uh, I'll begin reading in Philippians chapter 3. You follow along silently, beginning in verse 4. Even though I too have reason for confidence in the flesh, the Apostle Paul says, if anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet, whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. 
Not that I've already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. May God bless this word to our understanding. You may be seated. Well, lately, we've been hearing on the news that occasionally a commercial flight here in the United States will land at the wrong airport. I don't know about you, but that's sort of scary. I love the story about the flight attendant who got on the microphone and said to the passengers, ladies and gentlemen, I regret to inform you that because of instrument failure, uh, we're 30,000 feet up, but we don't know exactly where we are. She said, but you will be interested to know that we are making excellent time. (laughs) And I think maybe that's a parable for the life that we live and the culture that we're in today. We don't really know where we are, but we're really going fast. We don't really know where we're going, but we're really really making good time. That sense of uh, lostness or disjointedness or confusion where the disparate parts of life don't seem to fit together to any meaningful purpose and overarching sense of story. Uh, Jim Collins, who wrote the very popular book, Good to Great, has said that the only way you can have a great life is to have a meaningful life. Think about that. You want a great life, the only way you can have a great life is is to have one that has meaning, one that has purpose. Does your life this morning have meaning? Does it have purpose? Are you going somewhere, not just fast, but are you going somewhere that counts? See, the Apostle Paul occasionally in his letters would break out autobiographically. He would just start talking about what was going on in his life and what has happened in his life. And he was sharing with us in this scripture that that his life before Christ had been disjointed and disconnected. And Paul is basically saying, I was going really fast. There was a lot of activity in my life. There was even a lot of religiosity in my life. There was a lot of church going in my life. There was a lot of stuff in my life. But I wasn't going anywhere of purpose. I wasn't really having any meaning in my life. And I didn't have that sense of connection. In fact, he says in verses uh, 4 and 5 and 6, he says, you know, I had every, this is his pedigree. He says, uh, I was uh, born to the right church, circumcised on the eighth day. I was a good Jew. I was born in the right nation, Israel. I was born in the right region of Israel, a child of, uh, of the tribe of Benjamin. I was uh, speaking the right language, Hebrew. I even belonged to the correct in-group, the Pharisees. And what's more, he says, I kept all the right rules. I was blameless. And yet, and yet, Paul says, if anybody could get to heaven by keeping rules, it would have been me. 
If anybody could get to heaven going to synagogue or to church, it would be me. If anybody could get to heaven based on good intentions, Paul said, it would be, it would be me. But he said, it didn't work. My life was meaningless, disjointed, unconnected. There was not a sense of purpose. You see, at the end of that long description, at the end of verse 6, there's a, there's a break. And before verse 7, before he says, yet whatever gains I had, I... I regard them lost because of Christ. There's a break there. When he says yet, there's sort of a pause. Why is that there? Before I answer that question, I want to ask you another one. Have you ever been lost? I mean really lost. Lost in a big city, far away from home. Lost in the woods. When I was a boy, my mom and I were checking the cattle and uh, we couldn't find, we, we counted and counted several times, we couldn't find one young cow. She'd just given birth to a calf, and we couldn't find them. And we went deeper and deeper into the woods, and because it was a rented pasture, we weren't as acquainted with it as we were our own terrain. And it was an overcast day, and we couldn't really see the sun, and all of a sudden we were disoriented. We didn't know which direction was north, and it's a really strange feeling now, I will pause parenthetically and tell you, we eventually got out. I, I guess you figured that out. Uh, I didn't, you know, some people get hung up on the strangest thing. They won't hear anything else I say in the sermon. They'll, they'll get worried about that. But Have you ever been lost and your compass is broken and what you thought was north was not north? And then when you found out what was true north, everything else had to be changed because of it. Because once we figure out the true north heading, everything else gets oriented around that. Paul says, when I met the living Christ, everything changed. When I found the compass heading of true north, everything else got reoriented around that. He says, whatever gains I had, these I regarded as loss because of Christ. The gains is a plural word, and the loss is singular, as if to say all those individual things that I thought mattered on my pedigree, they just count as one big, one big stack of nothing that doesn't matter. Because Paul had thought that he could work his way to heaven, that he could work his way into God's forgiveness, that he could earn enough points but it doesn't work that way. He said, I came to find a righteousness that's not my own righteousness, but the righteousness that is of God through faith in Christ. He thought he could accomplish God's pleasure by moral achievement. And then when that didn't work, he thought he could achieve God's pleasure and purpose in life by mental achievement, by knowing enough Bible, by knowing enough stuff about being good. But moral achievement and mental achievement didn't work. What he says in verse 7 is, the surpassing value of knowing, I'm sorry, verse 8, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Not knowing about Christ, but knowing Christ. There's a huge difference. Not knowing about Christ, but knowing Christ. And Paul says that's when he experienced that true north that set his life 
on a path of purpose because he'd met the risen Christ. A skeptic said to a a believer one day, how is it that you know that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and is alive? And the believer shrugged and said, I talked to him just this morning, I'm sure he's alive. And, And there's really no scientific explanation about how we know that Jesus is raised from the dead. Uh, If you try to prove it with books, people can argue interpretation. If you try to argue with Bible, people can uh, dispute it with with, uh, refuting uh, whether that's true or not. If you try to base it on historical research, you can't quite get there. But there's one thing that Paul knew nobody could argue with personal experience. This happened to me. This happened to me, Paul says. Jesus Christ is alive and I know because he's living inside me. That's Paul's story and that's our story. Now, on this Easter 2014, it's not enough to just know that Jesus Christ being raised from the dead opens the path for us to go be with God when we die. That's great, that's wonderful. But if you read the scripture this morning carefully, the scripture's saying a lot more than that. The resurrection means a lot more than us going to be with Jesus in heaven when we die. It means that, I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful that Christ has defeated death and hell and the grave. And I'm thankful for the sake of the people I love and for my own life for that great hope of resurrection in the next life. But if you read this morning's text carefully, there's more going on. There's more to it than, like one preacher said, Easter is more than a rocket launch into eternity. What Easter means is some of that resurrection life flows back into today some of that eternal life washes back into right now. The here and now. The resurrection life in the present. A chaplain was on a ship returning from overseas, a ship full of troops as World War II ended. And uh, the chaplain was invited to take part in a Bible study that some, some of the uh, men were having on board the ship to pass the time and to sort of get their lives reoriented. And it happened that they were studying John, the Gospel of John chapter 11, the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. When the Bible study was over, a Marine came up to the chaplain and he said these words. He says, everything in that story points to me today. He said, I've been in hell for six months. He said, I've done things that I can't live with. I can't face my family again. I'm in trouble with God, and only God knows the pain I'm feeling. He said, in other words, I'm dead. But then that Marine said, Something happened in the Bible study today when I heard about Jesus Christ being the resurrection and the life. And the Marine said, 
in that encounter with the living Christ, I'm alive again. He said, I know now that this resurrection is here and now, not just something later on. One preacher put it this way. He said that the Christian gospel is all about two things. The first is eternal truth. There's an eternal truth that doesn't change based on our moods, our whims, our philosophies, our thoughts. It is the truth of God's love and power that's greater than death that raised His Son Jesus from the dead. That means that there's an eternal truth out there that doesn't have to be invented. It only has to be discovered. A lot like true north. A lot like a compass heading. So the Christian gospel, he said, first of all, is about an eternal truth. But he said the Christian gospel is secondly about new horizons that I may enter without fear. New horizons that I may enter without fear. Do you hear the Easter good news this morning? The Apostle Paul says in verses 13 and 14, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, forgetting what's behind and invited to the new horizons that I may enter without fear, I press on because Jesus Christ, the risen one, gives me energy to leave the old dead behind. Do you realize this morning you can leave behind the junk that has been destroying your life, that in the name of Christ and in the power of Christ, you can leave behind that which is destructive, that which is decaying, that which is not helpful, that which binds you and destroys you. That Jesus Christ gives us the power to turn to the new, to embrace the new, and to walk into the new, whatever that means for us. That through the power of the risen Christ, we can be done with that old. We can, we can leave the empty tomb and all the stuff that is that old baggage and we can walk with Jesus into the brand new. That's the good news of Easter. You know, when I first started preaching, I used to think on Easter Sunday it was my job to prove the resurrection. It can't be done. But I've, I've figured out that it's, it's not our job this morning to prove the resurrection. It's our job to announce it. And after all, would you really want to worship a God who could be explained? Would you want to worship a God who's so small that he could fit in our pea-sized brains? Would you want to worship a God who is so small that he could be explained through a logical syllogism or in a test tube or in some kind of theory? I believe right here in this sanctuary this morning, there are a lot of people who are hungry and longing to know a God who cannot be explained and a God who cannot be contained. The resurrection means that God's life is spilling out everywhere and God is on the loose and God cannot be contained. 
The resurrection means that God is working. And he invites us to come alongside him. The message is that Jesus Christ is alive. He is our true north compass heading. And because of him, and because of that, everything else has changed. Do you hear me? Everything else has changed. Let's pray together.